0: Amen. Good morning, family. Before I get started this morning, I just want to say a couple words of thanksgiving for you. Um, Thank you so much for the kindness uh, that you poured out to us uh, after Holly broke her leg. Um, So many meals and kind words and prayers, and uh, we just so appreciate uh, that kindness showed to us. Thank you for Um, Just your patience with us as we kind of navigated through that season and trying to figure out what to do with the sabbatical plans and uh, uh, for your your eagerness to hear God's Word preached. Um, When we decided not to take the sabbatical and stay here, it was probably um, strange for some of you to see me here listening to other men preach God's Word, but it was a blessing to me to hear God's Word preached and a blessing to see you gladly hear the word of the Lord, regardless of, of the messenger. So, thank you, Church, for your love and faithfulness to, to us, and most importantly to Christ and His Word. I am coming to you this morning with a little bit of weakness. Um, I got in God's providence. I got a sore throat in uh, towards the end of September, early October, and just learning it takes me a little bit longer to recover from this. And so I've been. Going back to all my vocal therapy sort of stuff I was doing in the spring, and it seems to be helping, Uh, but I'd ask for your continued prayers for the Lord to help me recover from that. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 this morning, so if you're not already there, grab your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. Uh, You remember this chapter, Jesus is preparing His disciples, the twelve to send them out on their own, uh, sort of like a a short-term mission trip, if you will. He began the chapter with specific instructions for that trip. Sterling talked to us about that several weeks ago. Then he addressed the persecution that they would eventually face. Uh, You remember Luke, uh, one of our missionaries, came and talked to us about that persecution. And then he encouraged them not to be afraid our brother pastor Peter Hess from Christ Fellowship in Williamsburg shared about that, that challenge not to fear. And now as we wrap up this kind of commissioning that Jesus gives to His disciples, He concludes with what we could say are some general comments about following Jesus. And Jesus answers in this text this morning two questions that... Anyone who has ever bought anything has asked at one time or another two crucial questions. How much will this cost, and is it worth it? How much does it cost, and is the cost really worth it? If if I can impress one truth on your hearts and minds this morning, it's this. Following Jesus costs more than you would ever want to think, but it's worth more than you could ever dare to dream. Following Jesus, dear friend, will cost you more than you would ever want to think, but it is worth more than you could ever dare to dream Or hope. So in this text, I want you to see these two big ideas. How much does it cost? What is it worth? So, number one, the first part of the text, in verses 34 to 38, we see the enormous cost of following Jesus. The enormous cost of following Jesus. Before before we look at this, I want to address the two main groups of people in this room. Some of you perhaps are not followers of Jesus. You're not Christians. Uh, Maybe you're a young person and your family is a Christian and they made you come. That's okay. We're glad you're here. Uh, Maybe you look like a Christian on the outside, but you know in your heart you're not really following Jesus. Or maybe you're just kind of here because somebody invited you and you're not quite sure about the whole Jesus thing. You can go to Hundreds, if not thousands, of churches all over the globe that will tell you if you follow Jesus, then you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You can find plenty of churches that tell you that. You can find plenty of pastors that will stand up here, like a used car salesman no offense if you're a used car salesman, but they will stand up here and tell you it's fine, it's going to be great. Now, for sure, there is incredible value to following Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there is an enormous cost. So if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, let me just first say to you, it will cost you. And I'd rather be upfront about what that cost is than you find out later and feel deceived. Maybe you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus. That's probably most of us in this room this morning. Maybe there's someone in this room going through incredible hardship It could be last week was the hardest week of your life. You are going through incredible pain, incredible difficulty, and you perhaps are wondering, why is this happening? Why is it hurt so much? Would it help you to know, dear brother or sister, that the hardships that you're facing are part of the cost that Jesus promised you would have to pay? In other words, your pain right now, Christian, is not evidence that God has lied to you. It is evidence that He has told you the truth. So, with that in mind, let's consider three enormous costs that followers of Jesus must pay. Number one, if you want to follow Jesus, it will cost your peace. It'll cost your peace. Look at verse 34. Jesus says this pretty explicitly, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Isn't that strange? We we sometimes call Jesus the Prince of what? Prince of peace. You remember, of course, what the angels said when they bore good tidings, that Jesus, this baby born in Bethlehem, He would bring peace on earth. So what does Jesus mean when He says, I didn't come to bring peace? John chapter 14 verse 27 helps us understand this a little bit. Look at uh, the text, that will be on the screen, or you can write it down or look in your own Bibles. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. In other words, Jesus starts by saying, I'm going to give you a type of peace that's different than the type of peace you're used to thinking about. He continues, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Yes, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Yes, Jesus does bring, eventually, peace on earth. But the peace that Jesus brings is different. The peace that Jesus brings starts on the inside and works its way out. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will begin to experience that peace in your heart that you have been reconciled with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. But as that peace begins to work its way out, you'll notice something strange start to happen. You'll notice it actually sometimes will lead to greater conflict around you. Every now and then, we have some sort of a spring cleaning type event in our home and our children are cleaning up their rooms, and by cleaning, I mean really cleaning, not, you know, stuffing it under the beds, stuffing it in the closet sort of cleaning, but really cleaning the room. And I walk into the room, and I'll notice there's chaos and clutter everywhere. In fact, it looks far worse than it looked before they started cleaning. Is said, what's going on here? Well, we're, we're cleaning, Dad. Well, it, it, in many instances, it actually looks worse before it looks better. So, too, with following Jesus. If you're a Christian, you will often find that the peace of God working in your heart will lead to conflict externally. Think about some of the ways this works itself out. Christian parents with rebellious teenagers As you seek to faithfully follow Jesus, you will have more conflict in your home, not less. Or parents and grandparents with adult children who don't share your beliefs leads to more conflict, not less. Those of you working for a secular company that's requiring you to celebrate things that you believe are sinful... If you follow Jesus, you will get a sword, lead to more conflict, not less. A Christian wife with an unbelieving husband, or or the messy conflict and chaos of helping a struggling sinner to follow Jesus. Or what about the church that's seeking to faithfully honor the Lord with church discipline when members disobey and refuse to repent? All of these are just a few examples of how following Jesus often leads to more conflict, not less. So, brother, sister, let me ask you, if you think following Jesus is a comfortable life, You have not been paying attention, have you? The the disciples, the early church in the book of Acts, our predecessors throughout church history were often embroiled in conflict. I would submit to you, dear brother, sister, friend, if your life is relatively peaceful and empty of conflict, it could be that you are hiding your light under a bushel. Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5. Could it be that you are not experiencing conflict and chaos because you prefer to just kind of fade into the background? Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Yes, peace is coming eventually. We'll get to the value of following Jesus later. But for now, in the short term, often conflict reigns. So, dear brother, sister, friend, are you willing to give up your peace and quiet if that's what it costs to follow Jesus? How much does it cost? In the short term, it will cost you your peace. second cost you must pay, this one might even cut closer to home, it will cost you, Jesus says, your family. It will cost your family. Look at verses 35 and 36. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Again, that's strange, isn't it? I mean, isn't Christianity supposed to be family-friendly? What's going on here? Why would Jesus' coming create conflict in the home? I I think of a couple of reasons why this might happen. Following Jesus may cost you your family if your family hates Jesus or His Word. I could just share a couple of examples from a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. Just from the past few months across the world in Laos, just recently, two teenage girls were being harassed by their mother and older siblings because their family is pressuring these teenage girls to prostitute themselves so they can earn money for the family, and they're refusing because they're followers of Jesus. Jesus' words here are proving true. You want to follow me? It might just put pit you against your mom and dad or your brothers and sisters. In India, A woman named Mamta was recently shot by her brother in law because she wouldn't deny Jesus. Those are extreme examples to be sure. We don't hear a lot of those sorts of things here in the United States, but softer versions of the same thing are happening in communities all over this country. Just consider how many Christian parents and grandparents across the United States are being told by young people either to celebrate my new identity or stay out of my life forever. If Your family hates Jesus or His Word? Following Jesus might just cost you your family. There's another way this might work out for some of us. Following Jesus might cost you your family if Jesus sends you away from them. Jesus just might send you away from your family. He did that to me. Back in 2016, as I was looking for a church to pastor full-time, Holly and I had three main requests we brought before the Lord looking for a church. One, East Coast. We don't have time for that West Coast nonsense. East Coast. Moderate climate. I lived in Tupelo, Mississippi, when we first got married, and I was done with the Deep South. You guys think this is the South? It's not. I promise you. I'll take you to Tupelo. I'll show you the South. We didn't want, We wanted a moderate climate, something like where we were in Louisville, Kentucky. And we wanted to be closer to family. Reason for that, right after we got married, uh, we moved away. Holly moved 300 miles away from her parents. That was the first of three major moves that our family would undergo. Every single one was a little bit further from Holly's mom and dad. And as the Lord began to lead us here, we had to wrestle with the cost because God was answering two out of three of those requests. East Coast, sure. Moderate climate, sure. Farther away from family. Sometimes... You have to leave your family behind because that's where God sends you. Last week we had a challenge uh, to go to the hardest places. I don't believe that all Christians have to go to the hardest places. Every place is hard in its own way. But God may want some of you to do that. It could be that there are some people in this room that God is calling you to leave. And Jesus says, that's the cost you might have to pay. There's a different, another way that following Jesus will cost you your family, and this is for all of us, following Jesus will cost your family if you love Jesus more than your family. That's exactly what Jesus requires in verse 37. Look at it. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you need to love me more than your family. Now, if you're in this room and you're one of those people that thinks, well, Jesus was a good person. He was a good teacher, but he never claimed to be God. Let me just tell you, that's nonsense. Look at this text. Jesus is either a maniac or he's the Messiah. Notice what he's saying. Love love me more than your mom and dad. In that culture, there was no higher allegiance than a Jew would pay to mom and dad. Jesus says, love me more than them. In our culture, for us, most of us probably are more likely to love our children than our, greater than our parents. And Jesus says, guess what? You want to love me? Love me more than your own flesh and blood. Following Jesus will cost you your family when you choose to love Jesus more than them. Let me just suggest practically what this might look like. Proverbs 22, verse 6 it says, train up a child on the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me just tell you something. Kids, little kids especially, teenagers also, do not want to be trained up in the way they should go. They don't. Parents of little kids, when's the last time your children came up to you and said, Mom and Dad, thank you for training me up in the way I should go. They might tell you when they're 50, but they don't tend to appreciate it when they're 10 or 5 or 15. Kids don't want to. They're all like mini Frank Sinatras. We all want it our way, right? That's kids. And to... If you, if you say to your children, listen, do you say to your little kids or your teenagers, I love Jesus more than you, so I'm going to teach you. I'm going to train you in the way that you should go. I'm going to teach you to pray. I'm going to teach you to read God's Word. I'm going to teach you to gather with God's people. I'm going to discipline you when you disobey. I'm going to correct you when you misspeak. And I'm going to do all those things, not so I can hover over you, but because Jesus requires it, and I love Him more than you. If you say to your older kids, I love Jesus more than you. So although I love you, I cannot and I will not affirm or support your sinful lifestyle. When you say those things, it costs you your family. Because what you're doing is you're letting go of it, and you're saying, Jesus, I'm choosing to love you more than them, and I'm trusting that I let, if I let go of them, that you're, you will handle them. And that you're trustworthy. You see what Jesus is requiring? Are you, brother, sister, friend, are you willing to give up your family if that's what it takes to follow Jesus? How much does it cost? In the short term, it'll cost to your family. And I know that one might be painful for many of us in this room, but can I assure you the next one's even harder. It just keeps getting harder. Jesus keeps ratcheting it up. Here's the next one. Finally, it will cost your everything. Whatever you got, all of it. Look at verse 38. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, before we understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying here, we need to think for a moment about Jesus' original audience. Just a few years before Jesus gives this speech to His disciples, there was a major revolt against the Roman occupation in Palestine. Palestine. A big group of Jewish rebels tried to overthrow the Roman rule. They were quickly set down by the Roman general Valerius. And to make an example of the Jews, he executed 2,000 Jews on one day, all on crosses. And they lined the roads of Galilee. And so these 12 disciples had walked down the streets to market go home after fishing, go to the tax collector booth. They had walked down the dusty streets of Galilee and they had seen lining those streets, not flagged like we see on holidays around here. They saw crosses. And on those crosses were emaciated, tortured, bloodied bodies of their neighbors and brothers and countrymen. They hated the cross. It was a cruel symbol of Roman torture and oppression. It was not the kind of thing you'd turn into a necklace or a tattoo. This was vile and despicable. And Jesus says, you want to follow me, Peter, James, John? You want to follow me? Here's what you got to do. Pick up one of those and follow me because we're going to die. Do you see what it takes to follow Jesus? It costs everything. If you want to follow Jesus, dear friend, you have to die first. Incidentally, this is one of the reasons why, when we baptize at PBC, uh, in the long tradition of Baptists, we believe that the body is to be immersed in water. It symbolizes multiple things, including the death to self. The old you died. When you trusted in Christ. Baptism symbolizes that. You died to you. Remember Galatians 2:20, what Paul writes? I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christian, the only way to follow Jesus is to die first. It's the only way. If you want to follow Jesus, you gotta to die to your peace and comfort. You've got to be willing to love and follow Jesus, even if it leads to conflict with the people that you love. You've got to die to your family. You've got to be willing to love and follow Jesus, even if, you, even if it means the people you love the most hate you for it. You've got to die to your desires. When you follow Jesus, your life is no longer about what you want. It's about what Jesus wants. You've got to die to your money and your possessions, your pile, it's, it's no longer, it no longer belongs to you. You're just a steward who uses your stuff to serve Jesus. You've you got to die to your body. My, my body, my choice isn't true for you. Your body belongs to Jesus and you use it to glorify him. You've got to die to your preferences at church. It's not about your favorite song or your favorite style. It's about exalting Jesus and edifying His body. You've got to die to your popularity. You've got to die to your time. Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. If you want to follow Jesus, it will cost you everything. Everything. Last week, some of us were able to go to the Pillar Network annual conference, and I heard an example of this from one of our preachers. He told the story of a Sudanese man who became a follower of Jesus. The people in his village hated it hated Jesus, hated that this man was telling people about Jesus. They determined, we're going to put a stop to this. So one day, they arrested him, arrested his family, lined up his son and daughter and wife, put a knife to his youngest throat and said, deny Jesus. And he said, no. They put her to death. The knife to his son and said, deny Jesus. And he said, No. They put his son to death. They took the knife and they pointed it at his wife. And his wife's final words were, Don't you dare deny him. Using her final breath to encourage her husband to persevere. After his wife was put to death, they put the knife to his own throat. And they said, deny Jesus. And this man's final words were, why would I deny him now? Everything I want is now in heaven. Now, Christian, listen to me. It's going to cost you everything. Maybe not the way it did for that man, but in one way or another, it's going to cost you everything. But listen to me, that's not the end of the story. How much does it cost? More than you want to think. How much is it worth? More than you could ever dare to dream. Consider with me the eternal value of following Jesus. The eternal value of following Jesus. Jesus. Beginning in verse 39, I think there's at least three reasons why following Jesus is worth it. And again, let me just say the word, a word to the two groups of people that are in this room. If you're not a Christian, listening to that cost, that enormous cost of what it takes to follow Jesus, you might be tempted to say, well, then <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not going to give up my peace. I'm not going to give up my family. I'm not going to give up my everything. We haven't heard the value yet. Don't make the decision until you see how much he's worth. And if you're in this room and you're a Christian and the cost that you're being forced to pay right now The cost that you're paying at home, the cost that you're paying at work, the cost cost that you're paying in your neighborhood is tempting you to give up. Let me plead with you, dear brother, sister, don't give up. He's worth it. So consider with me three reasons why following Jesus is worth it. Number one, you will receive life. You will receive life. Look at verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In classical literature, the Greek word there translated find means to win or or preserve something. So Jesus is saying whoever holds on to his life, whoever preserves it, whoever refuses to let it go... You're going to hold on to it in the short term and you're going to feel like you're winning. You, you can fight to preserve your life, to keep it yours, to do things your way, to be master of your own existence. You can hold on to that, but in the end, you're going to lose. In the end, you're going to be like Gollum holding on to his precious. The, the, the longer you hold on to it and the tighter you grip it, the more you turn into a monster. Until the end, in the end, you get exactly what you want and you hold on to it and you go into the flames and you lose it forever. That's what happens to those who hold on to their life. Listen to me, dear friend, if you're not a Christian in this room, the only way to truly enjoy the things in this life is to let them go. It's the only way. the the tighter you hold on to anything, your marriage, your popularity, your reputation, your job, your money, your, your athleticism, your physical beauty, the tighter you hold on to anything, the more it begins to consume you. The only way to really enjoy it is to let it go. If you're in this room and you're clinging to your life, Jesus pleads with you. If you do that, you'll lose it in the end. You'll lose it. I invite you, if you're in this room, you're not a Christian, the path to following Jesus is hard, but it's simple. It begins by simply admitting your sin, confessing it to the Lord, and trusting in the work that Jesus has done to save you. This is not self-help. This is not good advice. It's good news. It's trusting that Jesus really lived a sinless life, really died a sinner's death, and really rose from the dead so that whoever trusts in Him and turns from their sin can have eternal life. That's available for you today, friend, if you just receive Him. But to those of us in this room that are Christians, Listen to me, Jesus' promise is bigger than merely getting eternal life in heaven, as amazing as that is. Listen to John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's a reference to Satan. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You get eternal life in heaven, Christian? You know what you also get? You also get abundant life here. As you let go of the things of earth, guess what? You actually get to enjoy them. You can actually learn to enjoy the gift of marriage when marriage isn't an idol. You can enjoy the gift of good food or coffee or a good baseball game where your team comes back in the bottom of the ninth to win it. See you, Miguel. You can enjoy so many things in life more when you let them go. The moment you cling to them and they become an idol, you cannot enjoy them anymore. But to the Christian, as you trust Christ and you say, I give all this to you and everything you give me is merely a a gift, it's icing on the cake, you begin to have abundant life. It's the only way to live. We sometimes pick at the prosperity preachers that talk about having your best life now. But there is a sense in which they're right. Not because following Jesus leads to wealth and prosperity, but because the only way to live this life is living it following Jesus. It's the only way to really enjoy it. You want to live your best life now? You might receive persecution. You might receive great sorrow and great pain. And you might face great cost. But you can endure it all with great joy when Jesus is the only one you're living for. You receive life. I told you about how our family left our family behind when we came to Pocosin, Pacwasan, Virginia in 2016. But you know what? We gained a family really did. My kids have so many adopted aunts and uncles and grandparents and brothers and sisters and cousins in this place because of you. Isn't that just like Jesus? Yeah, there's a big cost, and you're going to pay it if you're going to follow Him, but He loves His people so much, He lavishes them with good things. Maybe not the things we wanted or expected, but something better. So, what will, you re- what will you receive as a reward? You will receive life. Number two, even better, you will receive God. You will receive God. Look at verse 40. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Now, remember... Jesus is sending out His disciples on a missionary journey and some people are going to welcome the disciples, receive them, receive their message. Some people are going to reject them. Jesus says, as these disciples go out, anybody who receives them in a culture where everybody's going to be rejecting them in a culture where they're going to face persecution, where they're going to be mocked and disregarded, and hated. The only ones who will truly receive these disciples are those who receive their message. Those who believe that Jesus really is the Messiah. And Jesus says to those people, notice what they will receive. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. I just want you for a second to consider the staggering implications of this. Jesus is promising dirty, weak, frail, mortal human beings like you and me, made of dust. He is promising us that we can receive as a reward not merely good things from God, but God, that you can receive, not merely a present, but a person. And that person is the very one who spoke and galaxies appeared. That you, Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus and you identify with His people, You receive God, and there's nothing better than God. Think for a second about maybe you're, you're, you're on a trip. Maybe you take up the challenge we heard last Sunday, and you go to a hard place, and you take the gospel to a hard place, and you see some children in a slum somewhere, and your heart breaks for their need, and you give them something. Maybe you give them some money. Maybe you give them some lunch. Maybe you give them some training so they can develop job skills and get out of that slum. But here's what you probably wouldn't give them, you. You could give them, you could empty your bank account, but you probably wouldn't say, all that I have and all that I am is yours. And yet that's exactly what God does for us. Just consider that. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver is his. The gold is his. He can give you whatever he wants. And he does give us good things, but he gives us something far better than that. He gives us him. There is no greater reward than God. Can I just challenge us as Christians here in the room? We're often tempted to love the gifts more than the giver. It's a constant temptation. God does give us good gifts, but greater than those gifts is His own self. The Father sent His Son to live and die for you. The Son sends the Spirit to live inside of you. If you are willing to pay that enormous cost, you will receive Something that is so massive, the universe can't contain it. Yesterday at the dinner table, we were doing family worship with our kiddos, and we are talking about the fact that God created time. Think about time. We do not even know what, what life exists like outside of time. We're bound to time. Everything in us is time-related. But God created it. And he can see the entire timeline of human history, the way you can hold up a pin in your hand and see the whole thing all at once. You don't have to like travel along and oh, now I can see this part. You can see the whole thing. So too is God with the entire timeline of human existence. He can see the whole thing because he exists outside of it because he's bigger than time. And this being says, I'm giving myself to you if you, So is following Jesus worth it? Only if you believe that God really is the greatest thing that you could ever receive. But Jesus promises one final reward. You will receive a mission. You will receive a mission. So many of us feel like we're lost. What are we supposed to do in this world? What's our purpose in life? Jesus gives it to us Clearly. In the Great Commission, Jacob preached on that last week. He also gives us a preview of it here, beginning in verse 41. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. When Jesus had finished instructing His 12 disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So Jesus finishes commissioning them. He sends them out. He continues His own ministry. Just like He said He would, He sends them out. And many of the instructions in this chapter are specific to the 12 disciples. They're specific to that particular mission trip. So, for example, in verses 5 and 6... Uh, Jesus says, only visit Jews. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Well, that's not a universal rule for all mission trips everywhere. That's a specific rule for that particular mission trip. But in these verses, verses 41 and following, I see a preview of the mission that Jesus has given to every one of His disciples, including you and me today. Last week we heard a challenge from Matthew 28. Let me read it to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage applies to all of us. Whether you ever leave the United States or not, all nations includes the United States. So all of us have a responsibility to make disciples as we are going wherever we are. But what is our individual responsibility to those that are far away? Some people might be, just like the disciples in Matthew 10, might be sent out to frontline ministry. You're going out on front lines. Think my friends here last week. Think Luke and Emily. Think Justin and Angie, whom we prayed for this morning. Think about a pastor who moves his family to Pakwazan, Going out to the front lines. Some people devote their life to this ministry. If the Lord leads you to that kind of ministry, your job is to obey. And I would just encourage you, if you haven't yet, ask the Lord if that's what He wants of you, that you should. But Jesus doesn't send out everybody to the front lines. Some people in Matthew 10 are hosting the disciples in their homes. Some people are just receiving them in Jesus' name. That's most of you in this room. The Lord might never lead you to Turkey or Taiwan or Timbuktu, but you faithfully give what you have to support the work of the ministry. Some of you in this room, all that you have to give is just like a cup of cold water. It's not much. I mean, you don't have massive savings accounts, you don't have just scores of free time, but you got a little bit, just a cup of cold water, but you give that, and as you faithfully give what little you have to support those in the front lines, whoever that might be, Jesus says when you do that, listen, you will by no means lose your reward hear that? Do you hear Jesus affirming you, Christian? Faithful PBC member giving to support the work of the ministry here and the missionaries we support around the world, even if it's just a cup of cold water in Jesus' name for Jesus' disciples, Jesus says, you won't lose your reward. In 1793, William Carey, who's known as the father of modern missions, left his home in Britain to take the gospel to the unreached India. Before he left, he famously told a a pastor friend named Andrew Fuller, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. All of us receive a mission, everybody. But we don't all have the same job to do. Some people need to go down into the pit. Some people do need to go to the hardest places. Some people need to move overseas. Some people do need to go to seminary and train to become a pastor. God calls people to do those things, and that's a good thing. But some people need to hold the rope. You can't go down into the pit if somebody doesn't hold the rope. Giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name is holding the rope. So let me ask you again, dear brother, sister, friend, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Yes, because you will receive a mission. Following Jesus costs more than you would ever want to think, but it's worth more than you could ever dare to dream. So what about you, friend? Are you willing to pay that cost? Are you willing and ready to receive that reward? Jesus was willing to pay the cost for you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, as he and his disciples were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gave His disciples bread representing His body that would soon be given and to ransom His people. And then He gave them a cup representing His blood that would soon be shed so that their sins could be forgiven. One of the reasons why Christians still observe communion 2,000 years later is because we believe we cannot lose what Jesus gave us when He gave us Himself. We, Christians have lost a lot over the last 2,000 years. Maybe you feel like Christians are losing a lot in our country today. Perhaps you, follow, you feel like you've lost a lot as you've chosen to follow Jesus. But Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If we're faithful to pay the cost, you will by no means lose your reward. We will have him forevermore, and he will be forever worth it. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the gift that Jesus gave us when he gave us himself. But first, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing together a couple of verses of a song and give our families a chance to pick up their kiddos and PBC kids so that our volunteers can